This week, we're joined by a retired NASA astronaut, Susan Kilrain, to discuss an intriguing book which she is now working on. Yep, it's going to be called After the Trailblazers, and it's about the shards of glass that remain, which can still hinder those who follow the breakers of the glass ceilings. Please keep in contact with us at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And don't forget to press the share button if you've enjoyed this episode. But right now, enjoy episode 87 of the Space and Things Podcast. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 87 of our podcast. So, lots going on. So much going on. Next week, we're going to be having a week off. The podcast is still going up, but there'll be no news, because Emily, you're off to Houston, right? Yes, I'll be in Houston next week. Uh, I'm doing some stuff with Celestius, and I'm going to the Space Hipsters trip this weekend. Uh, we're going to the Oklahoma Science Center and some other places in the area. So I'm I'm really excited. It's going to be really awesome. And I know you're doing some things too. Yeah, I'm, I'm heading to the events that Christina's organized. So there's the event on Monday at the Science Museum. There's a panel. I think there's still some tickets left. So it, this is a, a free event from 2.30 till 3.45 on Monday. Bank Holiday Monday at the Science Museum. Completely free. On the panel, Charlie Duke, Nicole Stott. Our guest today, Susan Kilrain, Dr. Cyan Proctor, Dr. Soyon Yi, Naoko Yamazaki, and Poppy Northcutt. So that's pretty cool lineup. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. And then the next day, there's the big gala, and Christina's got me taking photos. So I'm going to be there working, taking a load of photos, which is pretty cool. And then on the Wednesday, we've got the after party, which I'm going to be performing at, which is amazing. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting few days. So as a result, we're not recording. That is so exciting. That's awesome. I can't I can't wait to see everything from that. That's going to be really cool. I know. I, I also want to sneak a quick plug in for the uh, May 4th. Uh, May the 4th be with you. Uh, Space Hipsters fundraising event. May the 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us. Uh, we're going to have some auctions. We're going to have some trivia. We're going to have some really amazing prizes as well. And all the proceeds from this will go to uh, Taking Up Space. I'm just going to jump in here, Emily, because the prizes are ridiculous. So, so amazing. And anyone who pays the entry free, which is 10 US dollars, which goes to Taking Up Space, gets included in this prize draw. And every time Lois Honeycutt posts one of these prize lots that are available to win, my mind is blown. They're incredible. For $10, you can win some absolutely amazing stuff. And you're helping a good cause as well. Taking Up Space, an amazing charity, one of our favorites. Space Hipsters do loads and loads for it. We had the founder, Serena, on the podcast back last May, episode 37. Go and check it out if you're not sure uh, what that charity is all about. But in essence, they send Native American girls to space camp. And that is very, 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 very cool. So it was a great night last year. I'm sure it's going to be amazing this year. I won the quiz last year. I'm hoping that I'll be back in time for my event to be able to take part again because uh, I want to get Jar Jar back. Yes, the trophy, <laughs> Jar Jar Binks sitting over there. If I don't win, I'll send him on to whoever the winner is. Anyway, it's 
going to be great. Yeah. So uh, please, please, please check out that event. Check it out in the show notes. Anyway, I think it's time we get on with today's main event. So, Susan Kilrain joined the Navy in 1985 and was designated a naval aviator in 1987, eventually completing test pilot school and logging over 3,000 flight hours in more than 30 different aircraft. She reported to Johnson Space Center in March 1995, and after completing her training, she worked technical issues for the Vehicle Systems and Operations Branch of the Astronaut Office. She flew two space missions, STS-83 in April 97 and STS-94 in July 97. You'll hear more about that later. Uh, she logged over 471 hours in space and became the second female to pilot the space shuttle after Eileen Collins first achieved that feat in February 1995. Kilrain retired from the astronaut office in December 2002 and from the Navy in June 2005. We recently found out she started writing a book called After the Trailblazers for Women in Traditionally Male-Dominated Fields. It mainly covers how even though the first women have broken the glass ceiling, uh, the shards of glass still remain to hinder the women who follow. Kilrain, by her own admission, was never the first to do anything, but followed many as an aerospace engineer, a Navy jet pilot, and astronaut. So she is perfectly positioned to write such a book, and I'm very much looking forward to reading it. Yeah, me too. And so... We very much hope that you, our listener, enjoy this interview with Susan Kilrain. So, uh, welcome, Susan, and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, so, let's just set the scene. You're one of the only women in spaceflight history to pilot the space shuttle. What were the steps that you took to get to that point? And was astronaut something you always aspired to? There were three women that piloted the shuttle and I was the second and the only one from the Navy. Uh, all, all of the shuttle pilots came from the military test pilot community. And I was a Navy pilot. And the whole reason I joined the Navy was to become an astronaut. I had set my sights on that. A long time ago. So you also attended and graduated from U.S. Naval uh, Test Pilot School before your astronaut years. Uh, obviously, you said you were the only uh, Navy woman to uh, uh, pilot a shuttle mission. So what was that experience like, you know, being a young woman and probably being one of the only young women to, to be at Naval Test Pilot School? Actually, there were other women there, but not in my class and no pilots. There weren't any women pilots. There had been a couple of women pilots that had come through test pilot school, but I was coming through as a jet pilot and um, specifically wanted to get to NASA. So I didn't know personally any women who had done who had done this or gone this route. And the timing was very interesting because I arrived at test pilot school Shortly after the Navy's big tail hook scandal, if you're familiar with the tail hook scandal back in the early 90s. And so women naval officers weren't thought of very highly in the wake of that whole scandal because it was a woman Navy helicopter pilot who had brought it all to light. So I was uh, kind of facing that 
um, I don't know, animosity, I guess would be a great mm. word to say that the men sort of experienced a lot of animosity towards women aviators at the time. All right. So you're working on a new book uh, called After the Trailblazers about women's issues in, in male dominated fields. Now, tell us a little bit about what motivated you to write such a book and, and what its objective is. Yes. Um, After the Trailblazers is kind of a compilation of my experiences and it all will include interviews from other women. But the reason I got started on this is, you know, I did all of this 20, 30 years ago. Mm. And I thought, wow, you know, women have really come a long way and and most of the issues had gone away. But the more I got to talking to young women in male dominated fields, when I go out and do uh, motivational speaking engagements is that it hadn't really changed all that much. They're still facing all the same issues that I faced decades ago. And in some cases, it's even gotten worse. You know what I'm saying? And so I thought that perhaps the things that I learned sort of trying to fly in under the radar, not make any waves. And, and yet also, you know, when, when it, when it required me to say something, if something was not right, then I would say it. But for the most part, I set my goals and most everything that was going to get in my way of my goals, I sort of let, you know, just drop off my back and not worry about too much. Mm. Well, we have a question from one of our Patreon subscribers, Brittany Phillips, which is quite relevant at this point. Uh, she's also been a guest on this show a couple of times and, in fact, is trying to get a way into the aerospace industry. Now, she asked, how important is it to continue pushing even though you may not be first at something? How does it still make an impact on the younger generations? Yes, Brittany, this is a great question. You, nobody's the first anymore, pretty much. I mean, most first women or first, you know, have, have, has taken place, at least for women, there's still other first in the women of color or LGBTQ communities, but for women, most of the first have been achieved and that doesn't make it any easier for all of the women that follow after them. And sometimes it makes it harder because you're not getting that that uh, motivation by everybody, you're going to mm. be the first mm. and yay, and have a big cheerleading section. But it is so critical that women still uh, reach out to achieve their goals in whatever field they want to be in. And it's going to take many women to reach all levels of the structure at a, at a corporation or in a, in a type of, of work field so that there are mentors at every level and they can help bring other women behind them. And this applies to any minority in that workplace. They, they need to be able to see people that have reached all the levels and say, well, yeah, I can do it. I mean, I wasn't fortunate to have a woman pilot to follow, but I, I never knew that women couldn't do it. It never occurred to me. And people weren't saying women can't, women aren't better, women aren't smart or whatever. But that's not the case anymore. I think that women are getting bombarded from all different sides on how they may not be good enough. And we need to take the self-doubt out of it and go off to achieve your goals. It was interesting you just said that uh, you didn't necessarily have a pilot to look up to, a female pilot to look up to. But 
Did you have a, a female role model or mentor, as you said, that you got advice from or turned to when you needed it in your personal journey? In the early years, I didn't have that female role model that had done what I had done. I had a math teacher in middle school who was who made math just light up in my brain. And I fell in love with math because of her. And and so, no, all the women I knew were teachers, stay at home moms, uh, nurses. But I had man, male mentors who Mm. were encouraging of me who said, yeah, you can do it. There's no restrictions in becoming an astronaut. Sally Ride didn't fly till I was in college, but she was selected in the early 80s. And so by the time the early 80s came about, at least I knew a woman could become an astronaut. And so I didn't have that woman pilot, but I had an astronaut. And and so I just uh, kept plugging along until somebody told me I couldn't do it. And eventually nobody ever did. Mm. You mentioned that in the process of writing the book, you have interviewed other women from other fields. I don't expect you to divulge uh, who exactly these people are at this point. You can leave it as a surprise. But what kinds of women can we expect to hear about in this book? Yes, there'll probably be one astronaut woman that I will interview and out of a list of many, and then some from uh, the military community. But I'm also looking forward to outside of those communities Mm. like um i know a a woman she's in um finance and investments and she's young and has just kind of gotten going and what kind of prejudices you know being in a boardroom filled with old white men you know (laughs) how that feels and if she's struggling at all and and then there's some hopefully some higher well-known people but i'm hoping to use some of my contacts. You know, I think it's interesting, along with other firsts, we have our first female vice president. Of course. And I'm watching carefully because one of the things I have discovered personally and looking at other people is that when the first comes through, everybody's watching like with an eagle eye on how that person does. And I was the victim of somebody coming through before me not doing very well. And so they didn't want to accept me because by virtue of the fact we're both women, somehow that meant that I wasn't going to succeed either. And so I'm really hoping that when all is said and done, that our vice president has favorable reviews because otherwise it could really set us back in reaching the highest levels of politics in this country. That is so true because when I was in the Navy, I was in the nuclear field and not at the time, not many women were in it. Somebody came through, uh, I guess one of the classes before me who looked kind of like me and she failed out. Everybody sort of expected, oh, the same thing's going to happen to you. And I'm like, what? Right. Because I look like this person like that is the weirdest. No, we don't. We're not the same person. And I did fine. You know, I, I never really understood that. And then I figured years later what that what you just described, that kind of phenomena kind of occurred mm-hmm. that, you know, OK, you know, somebody, you know, before you failed. So now they expect that, you know, sort of there's this bias that other people are going to fail. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Right. It's weird. 
So weird. <laughs> it is. So what things do you think as a, as a community and as individuals we can do, and, and you've touched a little bit on this, what are the kinds of things we can do to make the space industry, you know, more inclusive and, and welcoming to women? I think the space industry is actually kind of ahead of of some of the other industries, at least at NASA. For me, it was like a breath of fresh air. I felt totally welcome. And I don't think ever did my uh, gender come into question or it never was really brought up. Only the media would bring it up. Mm. You know, when I was going to fly and ooh, a woman pilot and, and, you know, they would ask the silliest questions, but NASA itself seemed to have totally accepted women by that point. I think you're going to find it perhaps maybe in, in other space organizations like your big corporations that are now up and coming. I would, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying like your SpaceX's or whatever, those types of companies probably still have a ways to go as in um, corporate America as well. Firefighters. I mean, there's so many places where women aren't generally accepted and the numbers are so small that it's hard to have a whole team, you know, pushing you up, pulling you up. And it's important that we um, help mentor me personally. I like to mentor women in aerospace and sponsor them and make phone calls and help them in any way I can. And, and I think most of the women astronauts feel the same way. Yeah. It's great. We've heard stories of that before. It's really great to hear that that kind of thing is happening. Some of what you're saying suggests that you may feel like uh, the time when you were an astronaut may have been better for women than, than what it is now, perhaps. Uh, I may have completely misinterpreted you, you there, and I apologise if I have. But what are your overall feelings about where we are in the industry at this particular point? For me personally, all space exploration is good. You know, all the private industries launching into space, and the main reason I feel that way is because every person that goes into space comes back with a new perspective of Earth or, or of space flight or whatever that they can then spread to, to their network of people and to children. And, and so I would say that this is a great time. There are people that are analog astronauts or that are, you know, it's just there's so, such a wide field. I mean, my, in my day, you went to NASA or you didn't go into space. And there were other countries, of course. But for the most part, you went to NASA or you didn't go into space. And now there's just so many other opportunities that are looking from it from a different perspective, like huge media platforms that can then get the word out. And, and I just, I think it's an amazing time for any young person who wants to get into space and it doesn't have to be aerospace engineering. It can be almost anything these days yeah. that you're going to take um, into space with you. Um, arts become a big one and, and um, just anything can, can be applied to the eventuality of possibly uh, putting colonies on the moon or on Mars, you're going to need everybody to participate, you know, all kinds of fields. So it's exciting. I would not want to discourage anybody if they have a dream to go to space. And, and why you mention all those things, uh, if the call came in, would you go again? <laughs> My husband would send me. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you know, now that my kids have gotten past the age where where I feel like they need my 
every moment, I would uh, definitely consider a trip into space. Excellent. That's awesome. All right. This is a little off topic from what we were discussing in our interview, but to my knowledge, you're one of the first astronauts or one of the only astronauts to, to refly a space shuttle mission. Can you tell us? Can you tell us a little bit about that? That's that's kind of a fascinating story in itself. Yeah, the, the, it's seven of us because we were a crew of seven. And uh, we launched in April and we had an emergency and had to come home after a few days because we we no longer met the criteria to stay in space. So we came home and right away they said our mission was too important not to do and they were going to relaunch us. So they managed to turn the shuttle around in three months and we launched again three months later. Wow. And not only was it kind of like two for the price of one for me, but it was um, amazing the differences. We had been only in space a little less, right about four days. And then three months later, we launched again. Nobody felt sick to their stomach. Everybody was able to work at 100% their first day on orbit. It was like your brain is so smart. It adjusted to being in this weird environment right away. And we were able to get so much done in the 16 days and complete the mission. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. The idea that the brain learnt uh, how to adapt to space so that three or four months later when you went back and no one had space sickness. I think that's absolutely really fascinating. So I know we're still off topic, but this conversation has also got me thinking about crew size. Back in the shuttle days, there were seven of you. These days, most crews are three or four people that are going up at once. I wonder if you feel like there is merit uh, to, to a larger crew or to a smaller crew. What are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you get what I'm saying with this? Right. I get what you're saying. And on the International Space Station, even though they're only sending up three or four on a time, yeah. depending on the vehicle, there's still seven, ten people up there. And so once you get there, it's a it's a larger crew. And so that's pretty appropriate. Now, back in the space shuttle days, at the beginning, at least there wasn't an international space station. So you needed more crew members. We were working 24 hours a day. So we had a shift of four people and a shift of three people. And you needed seven people to really complete a 24 hour a day science mission. And so it totally made sense in the space shuttle era. Now, with the way that they're doing things, a smaller crew means you don't have as much weight to take in space. And so your rocket can be smaller or be more powerful to take more payload to space. So, so it, there's, there's actually a purpose for both. Yeah, of course. That makes a lot of sense. So when do you think uh, your book is going to be available for release so we can, we can read it and we can plug it? You know, it's interesting one wouldn't think that COVID would have affected the publishing world, but apparently it has a lot. Wow. All the way from a paper shortage to too many people, I guess, were coming out with books during COVID. And and, the, and so the uh, publishers are overwhelmed and backlogged. And so um, it, it'll be a little longer than I had thought because I had thought it would have been this fall. But I think it's going to be more like a, a year out. And the target audience for the book are young women, right. young women that are thinking of being in a male dominated field or already are in a male dominated field and struggling with some of the things that are going on. 
or even women of color or LGBT, anybody that's a minority in a workplace. And I mean a big minority. I'm not talking about 40, 60 split. I'm talking about a handful versus the many and and how important it is to set your goal, find mentors and sponsors and and let the little stuff just slide off your back and how to address it if it's a big stuff, you know, if it's something major that needs to be addressed and those types of things. Um, And how my stories of flying in space or being an aerospace engineer or even flying an airplane, how that applies, Hmm. how, how, you know, I learned these lessons by living them. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait. I, I hope it. I hope the publishers pick it up quickly enough because uh, I'm, I'm excited about reading this as well. Yeah. I think I'm going to be seeing you in London next week. Oh, great. Uh, which is cool. Have you got any other events coming up or things coming up which you'd like to talk about at all uh, at this <laughs> stage? Well, the big one is the Aim Higher Gala or yep. the whole event. I think it's three or four days worth of events there that I will be at. And that's what I'm focusing on right now. I do some other stuff. I uh, have a cruise that I'm going on where I'm the guest lecturer. Oh, wow. Some of the cruise industry has discovered that people love to hear about space. Mm. You know, I did one last year to the Antarctic because it's so similar to going to space, going to the Antarctic. You know, you're isolated on a small boat, limited resources and whatnot. And um, it was very well received. So they asked me to do some more. Fantastic. Well, Emily, have you got anything else? Uh, I don't think I have anything else. Uh, it, it's really uh, awesome to hear from a, a Navy, another Navy vet about these issues, because, you know, when I was in, I, I just thought I was nuts, you know, like, oh, man, <laughs> I must be the only person who feels like this. And when I talk to, you know, people like you, I'm like, OK, I, I, I wasn't the only one. Thank God. so thank you very much oh it's my pleasure i look forward to seeing you in uh, london thank you so much for joining us this has been amazing and yes i'll see you next week yeah look forward to it thanks emily thank you so much you know i think it's a wonderful time for human spaceflight because i think we finally recognize that it's not worth going unless we go together that it's important to not turn away any innovative idea that everyone has a role and everyone has a place at the table as we move forward if we're going to go for all humanity and to support humanity's love for exploration then we have to do it with all humanity and i think we're seeing that as our plans unfold for going back to the moon seeing the first woman walk on the moon in 2024 and just recognizing that we have to go together if we're going to go and we're going to do it right that was absolutely a fascinating conversation we had with Susan Killerine because, and I hated doing this because I, I didn't want to talk over her at all. You know, this is a legend, you know, and I don't have the same stature in the industry as she does because this this was truly somebody who is one of the first people to do something. She's very humble in the interview. She tries to say, you know, oh, I wasn't one of the first, but she really was one of the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could relate to a lot of what she was saying because it was just, there are patterns that I've noticed in the military and as as a civilian that just that just happened to you as a woman, especially with the them wanting to sort of shoehorn you in it, you know, in, in sort of this position as, well, somebody else did this. So you might, too. Like, what? Like, yeah. Literally does not make sense. But I can't wait till this book comes out because I, I think this will be a marvelous tool for especially young people who really want to get into this industry 
you know, and and kind of how to navigate things and and figure things out without losing your mind. We need this. Yeah, I like the fact that she's also bringing in other women's stories from other industries. I think that's really important. Yeah. And it makes this book bigger than just a space book. Another book that's going to go in our space book collection. This is going to be bigger than that. And in particular, this, this idea that the first mm-hmm. woman has extra weight on their shoulders. Look at uh, the vice president in America at the moment, for example, like she said, that's a crazy phenomenon. And I know, Emily, you and I have joked about Elizabeth Holmes on this podcast before. Yeah. But the new docuseries that has been on Disney Plus that I just watched ends by saying that any woman who's now applying for funding in the tech world is struggling because of what Elizabeth Holmes did, which is just crazy. You've got one person who's come along, big idea, done something no one's done before. And because she was dishonest, unfortunately, that impacts anyone who actually is good and wants to do something. And Mm -hmm. just when you don't need that in this world for women, just as strides are being made, can get taken backwards. Uh, And it's a really Mm -hmm. odd phenomenon. Why do we not treat every case individually? Yeah. It just you know, especially when you're not related or connected to that person at all, other than because you share a a trait, either gender or or, or race or or sexuality or whatever it might be. So that's something that we all need to do better as well. At, at saying, okay, well, that person may not have done very well, but that doesn't mean that all people from that yeah. uh, that group can't do it. Um, exactly. And I found that bit really interesting. Yeah, that that is really interesting because like. You know, I, I'm getting a little off topic here, but you notice like Bernie Madoff did some awful things that didn't really prevent like male entrepreneurs from no. getting invest, you know, getting investments and yeah, and being able to do startups and things like that. Because, you know, which to me is weird because, you know, with women, it's all well, Elizabeth Holmes and, you know, with men, it's like, well, it, it's completely different. So I totally agree. I mean, it, it really sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> It does. I'm just being blunt here. You know, Elizabeth Holmes was extremely dishonest. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it caused other people to think, well, maybe this other person's dishonest, too. You know? Yeah. I think it's an important thing we need to discuss, you know, not just as women, but as human beings. Like, why do we have this weird bias? And and, and I think we've all probably been guilty of it at some point as well. It's something we all need to check ourselves on. Like, You know, why do I think that that person's no good? Or whatever, because we've all probably thought someone can't do something who who's capable. We've all probably doubted someone, and sometimes for legitimate reasons. But sometimes is it just because we have an inbuilt prejudice that we haven't we haven't clocked yet? Yeah, uh, that you just need to to, to to sort out in your own head and your own space. Yeah, and sometimes I mean it, it really is stupid. It, it's as stupid as the way the person looks. I mean, I. I yeah. I know it sounds dumb, but, you know, like... Oh, I've definitely been guilty of that, Emily. I definitely have been guilty of that. Can, you know, this maybe this person looks like somebody else who's shady. You know, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but, I mean, I just... I think that is something that really, I think, unconsciously, and I'm probably guilty of it as anyone else. I'm not gonna... I'm not, I'm not about to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, I'm perfect. I've never made a snap judgment on somebody. No, I have before. And years back, you'll look and you're like, why did I do that? I'm a, Why am I a jerk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to examine that in yeah. ourselves, definitely. You know, because I'll, I'll be real. I, if I said I hadn't done that, I'd be lying. Exactly. I'd be lying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's conversations like we just had with Susan, who the really 
focus your mind on that a little bit, don't they? You just go, oh God, you know, I think I've done that. Yeah, you know, uh, that's not cool. You know, oh, why yeah. did I do that? And 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 try and catch yourself. To, I don't know. How, I don't know the answer to this. Uh, but how do you catch yourself doing it in future? I think that's the thing. But actually, but yeah. having these conversations out loud may actually be the the way that you catch yourself because you can remember that you've spoken about this, and yeah. so on and so forth. And there was another thing that popped out for me in that interview. And I know it's obvious, but we sometimes forget the power of teaching, right? She's mentioned her maths teacher uh, being a real influence on her and really opening up maths for her and, and, and a love for, love for math. Uh, sorry, as you Americans call it, math. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I got it. And I just think it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure we've all got examples. I have in music, for sure. I'm sure you do in, in, in many fields, literature or whatever it may be. But we've all got that, right? And and recently you, t- you spoke about... George coming in, our friend George, who unfortunately passed away recently, coming into your school as an educator and, and inspiring you. And that was part of wh- why you love space now and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So it's so powerful having teachers or, or mentors as a young person that just can inspire you. And I know it's obvious, but it's just amazing. It's just amazing. That, that always, always gets me when you hear those kind of stories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and especially, you know... In the United States, I feel like math was really not something geared towards women. During mm. the time I grew up, a lot of women failed it, you know, because it was like not really geared towards us. You know, it, the the message we got is, oh, it's hard. It's difficult, you know. And when you tell somebody that, oh, something is hard, you build up a resistance in your mind like, man, this is going to suck. I don't want to do it, you know. Yeah. So it, it is key for educators to try to put forth, you know, a, a good a good, you know, okay, this is why you need this skill. You know, I was very lucky, you know, I, I can't say I'm a math genius, but I, I had some excellent teachers who really, I felt, put sort of a good, you know, okay, this is why you're going to need this. And of course, being a kid, you know, I was always like, oh, I'm never going to use this stuff. And of course, what's the thing that first thing I do when I join the Navy? I'm using math all yeah. the time. The example that she brought up with math, that that's something that, you know, I feel those subjects really need to be enterprised to, I hate to say it, not just men. I'm not trying to be sexist or reverse sexist in any way, but that's always been a topic, at least during my upbringing, and I'm sure during Susan's upbringing as well, that you're just like, oh yeah, it's kind of hard. A lot of women don't do well at it. And it's like, no, that's not the message we need to be sending out. It needs to be that, okay, with some practice, these are the skills you need to have and you can achieve that, I guess. I, I completely agree. I, d- I just think I wanted to bring it up because I think there are probably people who are listening who are teachers who are those mentors and uh, and you may have had dreams of, of going to space but or, or doing that, something else and may think that actually you're, you're not much because you amounted to a teacher because that's another thing that gets pushed out, right? Oh, you're, uh, just a t- yeah. you're just a teacher, right? Well, actually, that's such a powerful position and you do your job as well as you're probably doing it is is probably inspiring someone who's going to go to space or change the future or something like that so we undervalue teachers so much and i think i think we need to all examine that as well i agree that interview really highlighted that again yeah i agree totally i feel like teachers all over the world i mean not just in the united states in the united states there's a lot of talk about you know teaching and how a lot of people are leaving but you know i I t- I've talked to people all over the world and a lot of them are just very disillusioned, especially after COVID. And it's like, we just do not value that profession as much 
as we should. And I completely agree. We need to reevaluate our, our um, how we look at certain professions because teaching, I think, is right up there. Number one, you know, we need that. That's the backbone of society. Absolutely. Um, Emily, right at the front of the interview, Susan mentioned the towel hook scandal. I'm not familiar with it. it might be because it, it was when I was too young or because it was in your country. Do you have a, a brief synopsis of what happened there? Okay, um, I'm going from the Wikipedia page here. I vaguely remember when it happened because I was a teenager. It's really pretty bad. I'm going to preface this with a trigger warning for our listeners. Um, It was a scandal in the United States Navy and Marine Corps. There were officers, male officers, who were alleged to have sexually assaulted up to 83 women and seven men at the Las Vegas Hilton. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just unbelievable. It happened at the 35th Annual Tailhook Association Symposium from September 5th to 8th, uh, 1991. Um, there is a Wikipedia article on it if you would like to read further on it. It, it is pretty upsetting, but I believe that there was a woman whistleblower for it. Right. That explains what Susan was getting at then. I hate saying this. I don't know if attitudes in the military have, have changed much since then. There's part of me that thinks even now a woman whistleblower would would just be just destroyed in public. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even want to get into it. There's kind of a, a culture in the military in general of just silence. Like, okay, this happened, but we're not going to say anything about it. Well, let's hope that it is changing. These things yes. do change slowly. So it's not going to be an overnight thing at all. You know, if it happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it probably is still a thing but hopefully not as much as it was and hopefully continuing to get better i know i'm hopefully yeah. i'm not making light of that but uh you know these, these things don't change overnight do they that's just how it is yeah. annoyingly um but yeah let's hope steps and conversation like this can help anyway that was Absolutely. a great interview a great subject matter i've really enjoyed getting into it so the full unedited interview you can hear over on our patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash space and things and like you heard in the interview if you're a member of our patreon you can submit questions to our guests i ask every time we have an interview and i just want to point out that don Irwin sent me this with regards to this interview uh he said like episode 27 with christina corp and mike Mullane, i think i should just listen to learn how i can be a better advocate for women and others who have to work harder to prove themselves on the job. I reread the Not All Men Time article posted in the notes of STP 27, as it is good to remind ourselves that we should listen to others without imposing our own story into theirs. <laughs> he goes on to say, although that sounds like a lot what I'm doing here. Anyway, thank you, Don, for that comment. I, I needed to read that as well, especially before this interview. So thank you. I hope I didn't do that. But yeah, these these key conversations are really great to have and I'm really enjoying having them and learning. But also, I really appreciate the engagement from our patrons. So please do get involved over there yeah, if you're willing. Also, I will put in the show notes links to Susan's social media pages so that if you want to keep up to date uh, you can do with her and we'll obviously as soon as we know more about that book we will let you know as well when you're a little girl growing up in Akron Ohio did you say gee I'd like to be an astronaut someday no I really didn't think about it until about four years ago when NASA announced that they were looking for astronauts who would be uh, engineers and scientists on the space shuttle and it was accidental that I heard about it and I just took a chance and applied 
And so on to this week's news. Amazingly, just one launch since our last recording. That doesn't happen often these days. It was a SpaceX launch from KSC, Kennedy Space Center, with some Starlink satellites. It was the first time they've used one of the first stages of their rockets for 12 different launches. So that's another milestone for them there. So although only one launch this week, there is apparently going to be eight launches between now which is the 26th of April as we record, and the 3rd of May. So a real busy time coming up. Yeah, May is going to be crazy. The Axiom 1 crew finally made it home after bad weather kept delaying their potential return. The mission ended up being 17 days long. As a result, an extra six days, I suppose they ended up with some good value for money as a result. (laughs) Yeah, pray for bad weather if you're doing a private space mission. Right? That's insane. (laughs) Uh, We covered this mission in depth on episode 85, so please check that out if you're wondering what we're talking about. Uh, With the Axiom 1 crew uh, now home, that means there's space on the station for the Crew 4 mission to launch, and assuming that there are no scrubs, Uh, They should be in space by the time this podcast is live. Editor Dave here. Yes, that launch took place the very early hours of the 27th of April and was successful, and that crew are now in space. Back to you, Emily. We got three NASA astronauts, Jell Lundgren, the commander, Robert Hines, the pilot, and mission specialist Jessica Watkins, and we also have Issa Samantha Christopher Reddy as a mission specialist as well. Uh, They'll be up there for a few months, and we've got a whole ton, or they've got a whole ton, of work and experiments to perform. Well, we're checking out the article in the show notes for more information. Yep, absolutely. A few weeks ago, we were discussing how the broadband constellation company OneWeb terminated their contract and will no longer use the Russian Soyuz rocket or their facilities to get their satellites into space. Well, they've moved quickly and have announced that they're going to be working with the Indian Space Research Organization and SpaceX to get the remainder of their satellites into orbit. SpaceX, I guess, was fairly obvious, but it's great that they're also partnered with another spacefaring nation to help their program. Uh, So plenty of launch work to go around at the moment with lots of different companies and lots of different countries. (laughs) I can totally see why you assigned the next story to me. (laughs) I totally understand, so I'm going to try to get through it as best as I possibly can. Look... It's just how it panned out. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Let's let's try to get through this. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> after a decadal survey led by the National Academy of Sciences, NASA have been advised to plan a multi-year orbital tour of Uranus with launch windows opening in the early 2030s with the probe arriving 12 to 13 years later. Wow. Sorry, Emily. I just got a bit distracted. Where's that probe arriving? Uranus. <laughs> the only time it's been visited before was during a brief <laughs> I'm really trying here. I can't do it. During a brief flyby, Uranus had a flyby of Voyager 2 on January 24th, 1986, so this is long overdue. Um on a serious note, I remember when that happened and it was really unfortunately overshadowed by what happened a few days later. So nobody nobody really like enjoyed that. You know what I'm saying? Because Challenger happened a few days later, but... Oh, of course. It kind of just went under the radar. Like, nobody was, like, excited about it, you know? It's kind of sad. Planetary missions like this yield so much. Uh, The images we've had from the likes of the Juno and Cassini missions to Jupiter and Saturn have taught us so much and have shown us those worlds in detail like never before. So it's about time Uranus got that treatment. (laughs) 
Isn't it crazy, isn't it? Like, yeah, after <laughs> all these years, that doesn't get old, does it? No. <laughs> it's still it's still always an obvious joke. Yeah. But it's still always amusing. I wish they'd never named it that, man. They, they could have given I it... I know. The, 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 maybe Neptune 2? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Neptune again? Nep- Poseidon again? I don't know. Something, because it kind of looks like Neptune, except, it, you know, it's bluish and it's... Yeah. They could have given it a different name, but whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, I think it's time to go. Yes, yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yep, that's it for this week. As we said earlier, Emily and I are both busy next week, so there'll be no news in next week's podcast. But I'm sure we'll get you up to speed on everything that's happened the following week. Thanks again for all your support. We've had a had three new reviews on Apple Podcasts this week. I think that's our best week ever. Awesome. So thanks to Early Flyer, Erica Johnson, and Disney Twin Mum for your lovely words. I love to use the names. Also, we've had a few extra ratings as well. I just was thinking it would be amazing if we got to 100 ratings by 100 shows. I know we've got enough listeners to do it. So if you've got a tiny fraction of time, go on Apple Podcasts and give a star rating of your choice. Five. And that would be really <laughs> wonderful. Also, anyone who is a member of our Patreon page, or if you join before the May the 5th, I've got an extra copy of Fred Hayes' book, which I'll be giving away and doing a little draw for. So another reason to uh, to go and check out our Patreon page. I'm also going to post some of the things that I'm up to next week at the London events within our Patreon page. So a few little bonuses going in there over the next couple of weeks. Awesome. And I, I don't want to spoil it, but I've read Fredo's book and it, it's just amazing. I absolutely love it. So you're definitely going to want to try to get your hands on this one. So that's really nice. Uh, thank you all for your support. And I hope you enjoy next week's interview as well. We recorded it today and it was pretty inspiring. Until next time, don't forget in space, no one can hear you, me. Space and Things has been brought to you by and things productions.